COVID has been probably the best thing that's happened to our business. Welcome back to season two of Girl Gaze Resilience Required. Cure your Sunday scaries with a new episode and a mimosa, but hold the OJ. Get ready for a quarantine brunch with me and a panel of refreshingly relatable and inspirationally insightful girl gazers as we chat all things fashion, career building, and adulting. Before I introduce today's guest, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, leave a five-star written review if you have not already, and make sure you're following at Girl Gaze Pod on Instagram. Girl Gazers, today you are meeting the girl boss brain behind Dormify, Amanda Zuckerman. I feel like I don't even need to provide a proper description for you guys because I know for a fact that most of you have already shopped from Dormify before, but I will anyway. Dormify is a one-stop shop for all things stylish space decor. So you can create the space that you love to live in. Amanda received a Forbes 30 under 30 recognition back in 2017 and has continued to grow her business ever since. I am so excited to have you on today. I'd love for you to introduce yourself. Hi, girl gazers. It's so great to meet all of you. I'm Amanda. I am 29. I started Dormify when I was in college at Washington University in St. Louis. And, you know, just excited to tell you more about my story and how Dormify came to be. Yes, I'm so excited. In today's episode, we are doing a deep dive into Amanda's career journey as a female entrepreneur and peeling back the layers to truly understand what it takes to start and grow your own business. But before we get started, you guys already know we always kick things off with a gaze of the week. Amanda, why don't you kick things off? Sure. So something that I've been thinking about and reflecting on in the last few months, really, of being in quarantine is just the importance of connection and especially in a very remote virtual uh, state of the world, how to maintain that connection. So something as simple as like making sure that you call the friends that you haven't spoke to in a few weeks or whether it's on the networking side of things, catching up with a fellow founder or someone in a similar industry as me. I think it's really easy to just take the easy way out and like say, okay, the world has changed. I don't need to continue on with the connections that I typically are making, whether it's a coffee date or a drink or something. But um, I think it's just a good reminder that this is the new normal. So there's no reason to change your routine. You just have to adapt to the current environment. I love that and embracing the change too. It's a good reminder to myself. I'm like thinking about my to-do list in my head. Sometimes because I'm so busy, I like make notes in my phone that say, call this friend, catch up with that friend, call this person. It's the only way I can stay sane these days. <laughs> you strike me as a big calendar girl. <laughs> Very big calendar girl. I'm not the most organized, but I'm a big calendar person. <laughs> <laughs> I know your schedule must be insane. Um, <laughs> before we get into all of that good stuff with all of your calendar and what your day-to-day looks like, my gaze of the week was really inspired by my mentor and boss who said something very nice to me or just a very kind compliment telling me she used the word brilliant to describe me. And I was like, wow, I would never even use that word to describe myself. Um, And it just made me think and reflect and be like, you know what? I am brilliant. And we should be being our biggest cheerleader always. One of my gaze goals of the week from weeks prior was to buy a five minute journal 
when I did. And one of the prompts every single day is a daily affirmation. I am dot, dot, dot. And mm-hmm. I've actually been really taking that more seriously now because we have to lift ourselves up. The yeah. belief in ourself is probably like the most important step to success. Um, because other people can always believe in you, but before you believe in yourself, it doesn't feel like it's true. So for me today in the journal, I wrote down that I am a fabulous interviewer and that I am a girl boss. So I encourage everyone listening to write down some affirmations, even if it's in your phone. There's a big difference to me between saying these things or thinking them in my head versus writing them down. They really solidify it. And I think that we should normalize hyping our own selves up Yeah, you should not feel uncomfortable doing so. Totally. It's way easier to focus on the things that you're not doing your best at or that you're not doing well, or you could do better. And it's, you don't even think to celebrate the win. So it's important to find that balance. Totally agree with you. Before we get started with everything, I'm curious, where are you quarantining and how are you doing with everything? So this is my office. I'll remove my virtual background for one second so you can see. (laughs) This is my office. Um, I'm actually at my boyfriend's parents or my boyfriend's family's house in Nantucket. Actually, little update since we last recorded this. Amanda is now engaged. So go to her Instagram page right now and wish her a major mazel tov and congratulations. Which is not the worst place to quarantine. We've like been at the beach since mid-March, which has been amazing. And it's just like gives a little bit of peace of mind when I'm working all the time that I can just have a great weekend and enjoy myself when I'm not working. Um, But it's been fun. We've been, I've been living with his whole family for four months now and it's been great. That's insane. Oh my God. It's fun. There's six of us. Yeah. We see my parents like once a month. Okay. So where are you, where do you normally live in New York city? Yeah, I live in the city in um, Tribeca with okay, Ryan. It's nice. And did you grow up in the city? No, I grew up outside of D.C. in the Maryland, Potomac, Maryland area. Nice, nice. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm in the city. I'm, in, I'm on the Upper East Side. Nice. So, and you stayed there the whole time? No, 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 no. I'm originally okay. from Long Island. And so I've really been quarantining there in like my family house, but mm-hmm. I feel very lucky and blessed to have my apartment so I can escape if I need to <laughs> for right. a week at a time. But yeah, I mean, the city is, it's different, honestly. And it's yeah. really hard to grasp because I feel like one of the main reasons why I always knew that I wanted to move here is because of the hustle and the bustle and the inspiration, just knowing that everyone is... I don't know, a hustler. And now it's just, it's quiet. And I mean, I'm still hopeful, a little hopeful. Yeah. Go back. I mean, I just re-signed my lease, so I'm coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I know, everyone will come back sooner or later, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious, because quarantine has just shaken everything up, have you done anything to pivot your strategy um, with Dormify at all? Yeah, so in March, when this really all started, um, planning for a crisis is not something I've ever done in my life. So there was a lot of uh, unknowns here and just like even how to approach it. So what we did was a pretty complex scenario planning with both our financials and our like overall strategy to understand like what levers would have to get pulled or what shifts would have to get made depending on how this pandemic panned out. So for example, some of the 
different paths that we were looking at were if all colleges announced that no campus life would resume in the fall, how does that affect us and our back to school season if January is really when people are going back to school mm-hmm. versus like if people are just extremely hopeful and colleges are waiting until end of July to make their decisions and it's kind of business as usual. Um, and there's various other paths, but we had to look, really like understand what the consequences of each scenario would be and then be ready to adjust to whatever path really becomes reality. For our business specifically, a couple of challenges that we've faced, I'll I'll talk about the pluses and the challenges. So first, the upside is that, as you all know, um, being stuck at home for an extended period of time makes people want to invest in their spaces with a lot greater interest. And this isn't just for college. This is younger than college, teens that are in their bedrooms at home for, you know, a lot of hours of the day. And then um, college students that are coming home to their parents' houses and living in their childhood bedrooms that probably need a bit of a glow up. And then post-grad, like people like you and I that are spending so much time in their tiny apartments, they want to invest in their space. So we um, have definitely seen the benefit there of being able to reach a much wider audience than just college, which is something that has been um, definitely like a focus of ours, but we haven't been able to focus all of our time on it since we're so focused on college. But we saw a little bit of a shift in our audience um, and our customer base in April specifically, which has been great. But some of the challenges have just been the uncertainties with universities and like knowing how to adapt to whatever the call that they're going to make is. Luckily, a lot of our customers are just very hopeful for the future and they have nothing better to do with their time than shop for their dorm room. And it's just a sense of joy and excitement that we can elicit for them. So we haven't really seen a um, dip in college students, particularly freshmen shopping for their dorm rooms, whether they're starting in fall on campus or at home, because you can really make over your bedroom at home during this transition point in your life. And then the only other pivot that we did have to make is with our brick and mortar retail. So we typically open pop-up shops over the summer in our key markets. And we had a pretty uh, big plan to have a larger footprint this year with six to seven stores. So we had to change up our strategy there and we launched a virtual styling program response, which really just replicates the proposition that we had in store of a customer making an appointment with one of our dorm styling experts who is a college student now that has really been there before and can offer that peer-driven feedback and advice. And we're just doing it virtually like this and helping students walk through designing their room from start to finish. And it's been really effective and we're going to plan to continue it into the future because while it was something that was in response to COVID, it's a great strategy and there's no reason not to. I love that. And I love how you are taking all of the challenges, but kind of viewing it in a different mindset and then embracing it. And the fact that now these virtual styling sessions were in response, as you just said, to COVID, now you're going to continue with it. I mean, it just shows that really having an open mind with your business plan is so important um, and to constantly be searching for change. Yeah. I mean, I keep telling people specifically potential investors that I'm talking to that COVID has been probably the best thing that's happened to our business because it made us look 
at our business, every single part of it under a magnifying glass. And we had to turn every stone because we were supposed to close around of funding in Q1 of this year. And we had to put all of that on pause because investors obviously had to shift what they were doing, focus on their own portfolio companies and so on. So we had to extend our runway um, in some way. Uh, we had to focus 100% on conserving cash and making sure that we were growing and selling the inventory that we bought into with very little capital to market it. So it was a really great lesson for the whole team because it's not often that you're faced with these really like crazy sort of uh, pandemic like crises that you have to adapt to. Yeah. One more thing before we get into the start of Dormify. I love how you call your um, them Dormify or dorm experts and how the people on these calls are actual college students. I am obsessed with that idea. Um, and I don't know, I feel like that's super empowering also because we are experts. Yeah. For the college student, by the college student. 100%. That's Brilliant. like the whole mantra. Yeah. Brilliant. Love it. Um, let's, let's dive into the beginning. Okay. So you are a high schooler, you just graduated and you are in bed, bath and beyond, right? With your mom. Can you explain this aha moment that both of you experienced as you were, uh, shopping for your dorm? Yeah. So caveat that like the world was a way different place when this happened. So a lot of the things that I went through and like uh, that are a part of our story. I don't think are hundred percent relevant now, but I'll try to like call that out because I think it's important of how it would approach it if I was 18 right now. But, um, so summer before my freshman year, I was actually a camp counselor. So I had zero time to decorate my dorm room, but I cared a lot about that dorm room and what it looked like. So I had one day to meet my mom in the city actually to pick out all my stuff. I was very style oriented and loved fashion and yada, yada. So we go to all these different stores, Bed Bath, um, Bloomingdale's, Urban Outfitters, even Macy's, like all these different places. And I just was so surprised that there was nothing that was cool and designed with an 18 year old going off to college in mind. So when you have to get twin XL bedding, which an 18 year old hasn't heard about twin XL bedding until they're getting ready to go to college, because True. what does that even mean? It actually means twin extra long. It's longer than a regular twin bed. And there was not a retailer out there that was creating product for a college student. You had to um, buy like very youthful juvenile styles and that was the first problem. No twin XL bedding. Second problem was I had to go to all these different places to get everything that I needed. And Bed Bath & Beyond really is that destination, but the stuff wasn't cool. So I had to go out of my way to like pick and choose these things. And at the time people weren't shopping online in the way that they are now. So I was doing it at these brick and mortar stores, which running around New York city in August, when you have one day to design your dorm room is not fun. What year was this? 2009. Okay. So yeah. this is pre-Instagram or Instagram was like a baby now. Pre-Instagram as pre-Instagram because it existed in Silicon Valley. It didn't exist in like everyday life. Got it. Um, so then the third sort of breaking point was there was no one to 
help you. There was no guidance. I was, I'm the oldest in my family. I was the first to go to college. I didn't have an older sister to say, you need this. You don't need that. Make sure you do this. Make sure you don't do that. So these three factors really like contributed to this aha moment where me and my mom were like, why doesn't this brand or this line of bedding exist? And I said, let's make our own line. And she was like, okay. <laughs> and her in Bed Bath & Beyond or like, was this at, over the dinner table? Literally at Bed Bath & Beyond. I said, we should design our own line. And she said, okay. Um, and that's not the response that like every mom would give, but her background is in advertising and she started a creative agency when she was, um, before she even had me. So like over 30 years wow. ago. And she has, you know, built this agency of almost 200 people with a focus on building brands. And that was what I grew up in. So I Entrepreneurship in is in your blood, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And my parents worked together. So it was family business. And I always thought I was going to take over the business. But anyway, she was definitely like down to do something about this idea because of that background. Mm-hmm. But Amazing. That's, that's the beginning. <laughs> so, so how did this, what was the first step after this? So you came up with the idea and your mom was like, okay, let's yeah. do this. So now flash forward, you're in your freshman year dorm. Mm-hmm. Did it happen right away? What was the first step to really getting this off the ground? It didn't happen right away. So we went to school. I moved in. I decorated my room. I did it for my roommate too. And we were like, that was fun and easy, but it's not fun and easy for other parents and students, um, that like my peers that are all around me. So I very much like started freshman year. I wanted to have a normal life. I wanted to meet people. I had a pretty crazy like class schedule. I wanted to rush the sorority. And then it wasn't really until after freshman year that we revisit, revisited the idea and said, we should do something about it. And I really don't even remember what that spark was that said, like, let's proceed. But we took our time, which is kind of the theme with my college years is we went slowly. We didn't like work full time on it. We just took our time and that wouldn't work these days. So, cause people will take your idea overnight. As soon as you put up an Instagram profile, someone else can take it. So what we did was, um, not start with creating product. We started with how are we going to get proof of concept for this idea without investing money into it? So we started with a blog. We put up something on, I guess, WordPress. I don't even know what platform before WordPress was. (laughs) And it was called Dormify. We created a group of ambassadors that we called style advisors to be the uh, voice of Dormify on this blog. And at the time, reminder, 2010, fashion blogging is just beginning. The OG bloggers are just getting their start. So no one was talking about college or dorm life or dorm decor. And first I had to validate whether people cared because I cared and I didn't know if anyone else did. Um, so we created this community of style advisors that were my friends from all different walks of life. Um, and they invited friends of friends and, you know, organically that community just turned into a group of strangers. And in the beginning few years, we had hundreds of style advisors that were writing content for the blog. And that really proved as our proof of concept, like I said, to proceed and figure out how to manufacture product. Um, so 
that I think is a more a traditional route, but you guys all know how uh, Emily Weiss got started with her blog and turned that into a business, but we always wanted to create the business, just needed to take the steps necessary to get there. And we started with a product line of wall posters, like the ones behind me, but we needed to start selling something quickly that we didn't have to invest in the inventory of. So we printed them on demand and we actually had an alphabet of uh, different letters that you could spell out your initials. And each letter was like a work of art. So it was really cool. And it was a great way to just get started and get some traction on our website. Yeah. I also love how you say that you started with a blog. And I know that maybe, I mean, I definitely know people who have started blogs right now. And if you really do work at it, they can be very successful. But I think the main takeaway from that is creating content that is serviceable Um, your audience and really like proving why they need your business, which is so important because now you may not want to start a blog, but if you have an Instagram, which every single business needs, you need to have some sort of service aspect in it. So you're offering value to your, to your consumer. Yeah. And it's just like a sense of community and like putting a human element to your brand so that there is like a voice and it's part of establishing your brand identity. Yeah, totally. And I love how you mentioned that it was basically started all through word of mouth. You reach totally. out to friends, you reach, and then friends of friends, and then friend, the whole network just, it was like a spider web just kept on continuing. Yeah, that, that was a hundred percent the goal because we wanted to have hundreds of college students that were going to be ready to market the product as soon as we had it ready to launch. So that was our marketing strategy that cost zero dollars. And um, you guys definitely know a ton of different brand ambassador programs today, but I think that we were somewhat pioneers in like the college ambassador uh, group. Yeah, I love that. And you obviously had a very, very clear demographic too, which I think really helps when you strategize how you want to market your brand. Definitely. Um, So you mentioned after your freshman year, you started to create this blog um, and then you went back to school. How did you continue to grow this business while being a student? So we had a team of four people at the time. And a really important uh, detail here is that we essentially incubated this idea for Dormify within my parents' creative agency. So we had a ton of resources. Um, A lot of agencies are actually starting to do this these days, whether they're investing in new startup ideas or like coming up with their own businesses within. So it was kind of um, a new idea at the time, but we couldn't have gotten started just with not raising money yet and all of that without the resources that we had to help, you know, create the brand identity, the look and feel and the website. Um, it was very easy for us to collaborate with her team on. So we had a team of four people, um, that had actually, two of the girls had worked for her at her agency prior. And then they would spend like half their time on Dormify and it was like a client to them. Mm -hmm. So I was at school. I was very much like the voice of the customer, uh, informing all of those decisions and really guiding Uh, the team in that sense. And then my mom was the perspective of a parent, which was really important, especially in the, in the beginning of things, as we were developing our brand and our um, presence to have both 
a parent and a student really helping to dictate how we make decisions. Mm, I love that. So working with your mom, how was that? And how were you able to separate professional and personal life? It's more important now than ever. Um, So my mom is not in the business day to day. She still runs her business day to day. And she is the chairman of our board and oversees like more high level strategic decisions. And she does a lot of the fundraising work with me, but it's definitely a balance. And I think anyone that works with family or a significant other would say the same. Um, The positives of it are that there's a level of trust with a family member that you that is unmatched compared to like any other partner or co-founder that you could have, um, as a part of your leadership team. So obviously like that's a huge benefit and we just are both very passionate about dormified. So it's your baby. Yeah. It's kind of like the difference of being a sole founder and feeling lonely at the top. Like I always have someone to lean on, which is really great, but there is definitely like, challenges when it comes to transitioning from like personal life to work life. And I sometimes have to be like, okay, can you just be my mom for a second? Not like business partner, but be my mom. And she would prefer to live life more in the gray area. And I would prefer to be more black and white. So we just disagree on that fact um, a little bit and she's just used to it. She works with my dad. So it's just a different sort of mindset, but we work through it. I mean, when we're on vacation or spending time together, there's always talk about work, which is a little bit hard to unplug, but that's why I'm not quarantining with her. Understood. Yeah. (laughs) Like a little bit too much. (laughs) My parents also um, run a business together, a jewelry business. And so I've grown up with them talking about business 24 seven. And I also, I feel like that's the difference between their generation and our generation is that self care has really become a a part of everyone's lifestyle. I'm curious, like how do you create this work-life balance for yourself? It's a blessing and a curse because I love that I'm not so easily, um, peer pressured or just like socially pressured to do things because it's so easy for me to just say like, I'm not going to do this right now. I want to like go out for dinner. So I like that I have more constraint, which it's just harder for me to place those boundaries on myself in typical life. But you like have to put more effort into taking breaks, making sure that you end the day at a certain point. Like I'm definitely in this trap now where I really enjoy waking up early and starting my day before like the rest of the team starts the day. But then when it comes to be the end of the day and I'm really just signing off when uh, it's time for dinner that is not dictated by me. And then I like hop on back to the computer if I want. So the problem is that there's very little boundaries. So setting up a routine that has more clear breaks is definitely important. I've been trying to exercise in the morning to just like start my day doing something for myself, um, which has been really great. And I know that if I wait to work out in the middle of the day or the end of the day, that it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. But I have set like, um, a Friday chunk of time where I have a workout in the middle of the day just to like 
have that on my calendar. Um, so blocking out time on your calendar for things that are not a meeting or a work session is really important too, to just help manage your time and take those breaks. But yeah. I think, yeah, I know. And I also think another um, really important I don't know, step to self-care or creating those boundaries. It's just accepting the fact that you're, that you will never be able to cross everything off of your to-do list. Um, even though it's so hard, like I'm always a perfectionist and as I'm sure you are, and just always wanting to hustle and like make sure that everything is really, really great and that you're productive and efficient and everything. But yeah. just knowing, I I don't know. I feel like one of the hardest parts about running your own thing, whether it's passion project like mine podcast or a legitimate like multi-million dollar business like Torify, is just setting realistic expectations for yourself throughout the week. Yeah. Um, and breaking down, yeah, like breaking down those steps to know like what takes priority this week so yeah. that you can feel like you're still accomplishing things even though you know that it's never really ending. Yeah, totally. And I very much struggle with this. Like, I wish that I was the type of person that said, here's my goals for the month, the week and the day. (laughs) And that I had like that sort of structure to uh, work off of. But the like low hanging fruit that I try to do is at the end of the day or earlier in the morning, just make sure I have a clear idea of what I need to accomplish in that day, whether it's one thing or five. Um, so that I don't just like, uh, context switch and like get all over the place because I am involved in so many different things, like too many different things. Yeah. But it's hard. I know it's so easy for your brain to be like, Oh, this, this, this is this. And like, now I'm working at a creative agency. So, and we have a bunch of different clients. So now I'm like, Oh, like here are my ideas for this client. But then I'm like, Oh wait, this meeting is right now. So I totally yeah. get it. I yeah. Get it. I want to dive into what your position is at Dormify, how that actual like title has changed over time um, mm-hmm. and what your day-to-day responsibilities look like. So I'll start with how it's changed over time. I studied graphic design and marketing in school and I always wanted to be a designer, art director type of person. So I started doing like a lot of the creative oriented aspects of the business from designing emails to designing signage. Like I did a lot of that graphic design work at the very beginning. Um, not a good use of my time, but that's what I was good at. And we didn't need to like hire someone to do it because I was going to do it. And then I was also just like very much the face of the brand for press opportunities, um, working with customers. We did a a ton of trunk shows at people's homes in the very beginning of the business. So we basically like hosted shopping parties with a host. So Taylor, if you were uh, incoming freshman, you'd invite 30 of your friends over with their parents and we'd come in a car full of dormify stuff and set up in your living room and do a shopping party. I love that. I was like working with customers, but we all did like a lot of everything in the beginning, content planning and so on. And then how that's evolved over time is I've been like creative director, just really overseeing all creative and brand um, for Dormify. And brand is obviously everything for Dormify. So like it manifests in so many things from customer experience to um, marketing to product design and so on. And I have taken 
more of a backseat in the last year from product development. I was leading product development with our head of product development for a long time. And I was very much in the weeds of um, working with the vendors and just like every single part of creating the product. But as we grew and we brought new members onto the team, that was an area that I stepped away from. So today um, I'm chief brand officer, but I'm chief everything officer also. (laughs) And um, I now am just currently overseeing the marketing team. Um, We have a really strong marketing team and we, um, for the summer actually, I'm like the interim head of marketing because we are going to be hiring for the marketing team in the fall. And then I have my hands in product development, marketing, overall site experience and merchandising. And I am really here to be a resource to all of our department heads um, for more of those marketing and creative related um, lines of the business. And I just don't do as much with like operations and logistics. How big is your team now? We are 18. Wow. That's so insane. I feel like people always look at these big businesses and think there's like a hundred people on the staff and it's really not like that. Nope. And people still expect us to operate like Amazon and get the packages there like in 30 seconds. And I don't know. I think like it's, it's great that we're able to do so much with such a lean team, but yeah, I mean, people have really high expectations and we're small. Yeah. I'm curious if there are more females on your team than males. What's the age? Do you have any like young people who you empower on your team? So we were all female for a long time and we have recently brought more diversity in gender to the team. And there are four guys on the team now. Great. We also were skewing a lot longer before and now we have uh, a range of ages from like 22 to 50. We are definitely younger just overall. Um, The younger generation within the team is definitely leading the charge, especially when it comes to marketing and our brand presence overall. And Dormify is a great place for someone young and eager to have a ton of ownership and responsibility and learn a shit ton so that they can continue to grow in their realm and really have ownership and experience in things at such a young age that you couldn't at a larger company. So it's true like startup mentality in that sense. And everyone wears a lot of hats. And uh, my marketing team that I oversee right now is literally like 22 to 25 year old. So we're, we're young and it makes me feel great that I can give them that sense of ownership and responsibility because uh, people seem to really shine when given the opportunity to just like own something and be accountable for it. I love that. Um, I think that's also what makes a really great leader is empowering your team, especially people who are young because we really need to foster their creativity. Obviously I'm very young, but I also have low key. I have interns for the podcast um, (laughs) and I'm always trying to empower them. Yeah. So Interns are so important. Yes. I I love that. I'm curious about leading meetings, especially for the marketing department. Can you walk me through what that looks like, especially now, like working from home? So we have a great project manager on our team that really gets her hands in so many parts of the business, but primarily um, creative marketing and site. 
So she joined our team in the fall of last year and has just brought such a great sense of structure and management to our organization. So I don't, I don't lead any of these meetings. These younger team members do. And it's been really great to see them um, be able to run meetings and like command a group and really take the lead there. But we're pretty organized. Like we have a really great project management platform. We run through discussion items, things that were completed in a week's sprint, uh, things that are being worked on uh, in the queue, and then potential roadblocks that are challenging to the team. But in this virtual environment, we do quick huddles every single morning um, just to make sure that everyone's all set for the day and that we have like some sense of humanity, I guess, and like connection during the day. And everyone tells me what they're working on that day, um, any challenges that they have. And our full team does a stand up twice a week. So there's a lot more like stand up status update type meetings being remote, but I think it's for the best and everyone has been working really well in this environment. Yeah. I feel like that's what pushes a business to be great during this time is the leadership that really empowers like this communication Yeah, because usually if we're in an office, especially like, I don't know, like in person, everyone comes in every day, you can pop your head like over to someone or send someone an email really quickly and everyone's always on the same page. But now when everyone's from home, it's so easy for communication to fall off. I also love how you don't necessarily lead all of the meetings that you let other people have a voice. And it just shows like perspective is power. And this is something that I've been trying to instill in my audience is that yes, we are young, but our perspective, especially the fact that we grew up in this digital age, matters. You just need to find people who will want that. Totally. And it's so important for Dormify specifically. Like That's why I say interns are so important. We treat them like team members. They get assigned tasks in our project management platform. They are doing things that an employee would be doing. And it's a really great experience. We always have like a high school age and a few college age interns and a lot of them are actually going to continue on in the fall because a lot of people aren't returning to campus. Something more fun and different and creative that I could share is a campaign that we ran in the spring pre-COVID. We actually did a competition with students to design posters for our site and the way that this came about is a couple of different things. So we came up with this idea last fall. Since our season for back to school shopping is really during the summertime, we had some time to do something a little bit more fun. Our posters are really popular on our site. And I thought it was a great concept or idea to kind of crowdsource these designs and get our customers and our audience and our followers engaged with the brand in a different way. And the goal of it was come springtime when we launched these, which we ended up launching on International Women's Day, since all the artists were women or girls, (laughs) we thought it could be a really great brand awareness play just because 
these were all high school and college age students. Um, they obviously want to promote their own work and drive their friends and their own networks to Dormify to purchase their work since we were really providing a platform for these young entrepreneurs or these young artists to show off their work to a much broader audience. So I thought that was really fun. Um, the girls got really into it. We did, I think, 14 or 15 winners. We still carry all of their prints on Dormify and each person submitted multiple pieces. So we were able to choose um, more than one piece per artist to kind of have like a collection. So we called it Dormify XU. So Dormify and you. And it was just really different. And like, I think not only from a brand building perspective, but also just an innovation perspective, it was something different. And it was a great way to one, get products that people really wanted to buy because it was created by the audience and just created some buzz during a time when we don't have as much volume. Yeah. I love that. How many posters were submitted? Do you know? Was it in like the hundreds? Yeah, definitely in the hundreds. Definitely That's in the hundreds. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. And I love how it also came full circle that you launched on International Women's Day because that, some people don't realize that when you do marketing, everything comes into play. And like the fact yeah. that you chose International Women's Day was very intentional. Very intentional, but the, I mean, it was open to girls, guys, whoever. Um, and it just happened to be that, I mean, naturally we got a lot of submissions from girls and all of the winners were girls. So it just made sense to do that. And we were thinking about separately, like what, what do we want to do on international women's day? And we also had this campaign and it, it all came together in a meeting where we said, let's do this to support these um, young women on this uh, holiday. So I, I, I really love that idea. So how did that come about? It was very collaborative. Um, first between myself and our head of product development, who is part of our founding team. Her and I are partners and um, she always is thinking about creative ways to develop new product. And with posters, there's no inventory cost involved. So it was just like a really low lift way to bring newness to the site. And it was something that her and I felt really passionate about bringing to life. So the two of us as the product brand combo brought this to the marketing team. And we worked with the marketing team to sort of like brand the collection and the campaign and really run the actual execution of setting up the competition and the submission process. And then once we got the submissions in, Steph and I reviewed all of them and they were all chosen by us. And then we had the marketing team uh, carry out the actual campaign on International Women's Day. And we did a TikTok thing that was really fun. Each of the artists got on and shared more about themselves on TikTok. And we've really been utilizing them to do their own promotion and utilize their assets. So great. Yeah, I love that idea. And it also brings me to another point that I wanted to talk about is product development. So everything you find on Dormify's website is done in-house, correct? A majority of it. So like 80%. Everything that our customers come to Dormify to buy, the novel products that we're known for, our best sellers, they're all Dormify branded products that we are designing in-house and manufacturing with partners in order to bring them to life. So bedding is all Dormify and that includes like every single category of bedding. Wall is mostly Dormify. There's a couple of like 
canvas and framed art options that we source from other vendors. Storage is all dormify, bath is all dormify. And there's just like a small assortment of accessories that we just don't invest in producing on our own just to add some diversity and some assortment. And then we also work with a few other partners to drop ship um, like big bulky items. So area rugs, for example, those are not our brand. You can find them at other websites, but we are in the business of like curating the best picks for certain categories. So we might be drop shipping a desk in the fall, for example. Yeah. Oh, great. But, yeah. So question, when you create these posters, whether it's from the winners or whether that's from a graphic designer on your team, how does that come to life? Can you walk me through a little bit of the product development uh, process? Yeah, I think I'll talk about betting though. It's a little bit more interesting. Yeah, let's do betting. <laughs> and it's the like majority of our business, about 70% of our sales are in the betting category. So we really are like the destination for betting, which includes comforters, pillows, blankets, headboard, sheets, all of that. Um, so the way that it comes about, it's really a one year process. Our product development team has already started working on 2021. And where we start is by developing a trend forecast and a whole presentation that is based off of um, a combination of customer feedback, Instagram trends, TikTok trends, um, best-selling historical data of what works and what doesn't work, and then fashion trends and just like overall universal trend forecasting. But we really like prioritize customer feedback and what we are seeing in the lives of our audience on social. So that being said, like we develop a color palette, we develop this trend presentation, we work with each of our partners in different categories to um, review like what we're looking for from a trend perspective. And the way that we organize it is by persona. So like the Taylor persona would be someone who likes XYZ, shops at these stores. This is her look. This is her vibe. These are the materials that come to mind. And we really like create a picture for each type of girl that we're catering to. I love that. And then that trend forecast or presentation gets translated into every single category. So it's not just bedding. It is also wall decor. It is accessories, lighting, all of that. So that's where we start. And then we work with each of our partners to bring those ideas to life and kind of like translate these trends to fabrications, samples, and all of the above. So for different categories, the process looks pretty different. Bedding though, we are looking at tons of different fabrications, um, bedding techniques, and then choosing styles, prints, textures, and so on that we want to move forward with. And we start with a really wide assortment that falls into all of these different trends. We look at like very small sample swatches and then we have to make some big decisions based off of not seeing like the final piece or product. Yeah, yeah. It's either like something printed on paper that could come to life so differently on fabric or a really tiny piece. So we go through that process, we curate the assortment, we get samples in and perfect them. And then we um, go on with the final product to photograph it and get it ready for prime time on the site. That's so interesting. And as you were explaining that process, I find myself like 
reflecting back on my internship at Steve Madden when I worked with the design department and product development was one of the things that we really focused on. And there are so many similarities, even though we're talking fashion versus like home decor in terms of, yeah, because I remember we would get swatches in and I would help like choose which one I liked the best as a little intern. Um, And then even just, we would get like back and forth between the vendors overseas and we would, yeah. oh yeah, it was a pain. <laughs> and we would yeah. have to like say, oh no, like we have to change X, Y, Z about it um, and go back and forth. So yeah, I mean, the cool thing about Dormify is that we don't operate like a normal home decor brand. We operate more like a fashion brand. Mm-hmm. And that is something that is important to us because we are so like trend driven. So yeah. We're usually ahead a bit. That's super interesting. I'm curious if you had an aha moment when you realized your business was going to blow up. So there wasn't like one thing that overnight, like, you know, like the equivalent of a viral TikTok or like a celebrity or anything like that. But in the beginning, because we started the business before Instagram and Instagram really took off like in my uh, peer group, I would say when I was a junior in college, um, there was a couple of things that made me feel like that's validation. So first was when people started moving into their dorm rooms and tagging their room setups with dormify without being asked to, um, that was like a long time ago before everyone was an influencer and tagged every single product in their pictures. So that was a sense of validation that people were really excited to show off that they purchased from our brand and no one was saying like, you need to do this. And it was just really cool to go through the location tags of some of the most popular freshman dorms that we know and see like how many dormified rooms were really out there. Um, So that was great. And then, In addition, we had, I felt a a sense of validation at this point. Good Morning America called us in 2017 to do a big segment in August where we actually built a dorm set up in the middle of Times Square. And that was definitely the biggest press moment for us ever. It was amazing. I uh, had like four minutes on air to just say everything I needed to say about dorm shopping and dormify. So that was really cool. Okay, wait, let's let's talk about this for a second because I actually watched that video when I was doing research on you. This was, you are a great public speaker. Like, have you always been like this or did it take practice to really like build up this confidence? I started doing it a lot when I was in college. I think that's like something I never talk about is how many press opportunities we got when I was in school since we were just getting started. And um, we actually don't even work with a PR firm today, but we, at the time, like earlier, we were doing a lot of PR because digital marketing wasn't what it is. And I I did get media trained by a professional, I don't remember anything I learned from that, but I think just practice has given me a lot of confidence to the point where I get asked to like come on a podcast or, I mean, podcasts aren't really nerve wracking, but going on TV, like Good Morning America, I've done it so many times at this point that like, I don't get shaken up. And also like, I, I know exactly what I need to say. It's like what I live and breathe. Yeah. So I love doing these types of things. And I keep thinking like, you know, more forward in the future, how could I do more of this public speaking? Because I really enjoy it. I think I'm good at it. 
And how do I like parlay that into, um, as Dormify continues to grow, like what my personal brand is all about. Um, but I do, I do a lot of like speaking at college campuses and do like women in business organizations. And anytime that a group wants to bring me to campus as a public speaker, or now I'll probably just do it very much virtually. I I love doing that. So that's my cool. mom is scared to death though. I think that's funny that she like runs a huge company and she's always so nervous whenever we do anything live on TV or not even live. Um, but I keep it cool and she's like, like memorizing what she wants to say, yeah. but I don't know why. <laughs> it, I definitely agree. Like practice is so important. Um, I also like have done public speaking since, I mean, I remember in middle school, I like, asked my principal or, or my teacher if I could like give a speech at graduation. So this is like a long time coming, which is why I feel like I'm very comfortable interviewing people, but definitely agree with practicing, especially yeah. even for the gaze of the week, right before this, I took a shower and I was like, just speaking out loud to kind of get my thoughts in order. I feel like when I first started my podcast, I had a very clear outline of everything and like all of my questions. Whereas now, because I've had so much experience and practice doing like putting this into practice that Mm -hmm. it just comes so naturally now. Yeah. I I Um, will admit though, that good morning America segment, I memorized a hundred percent of it and I practiced so much in advance because I had so little time to do it. Yeah. Well, also that was like so intense because they were, were or they were like men literally laying out oh things. As, I was very impressed when I watched that. You rehearsed the whole thing like so many times. It was fun. Yeah. I also wanted to talk about Forbes. Can you walk me through how you found out and what was your immediate reaction? Yeah. I mean, whenever I get asked that question of like, when did you feel legit? In my mind, the answer is Forbes, but I'm not going to be like, hi, I'm on the Forbes 30. (laughs) Like, nice to meet you. Um, But yes, that was a really, really cool milestone moment and such a great accomplishment. And it was in 2017. Yeah, 2017. Um, I can't believe I'm almost 30. That's really crazy. But it was so surreal. Like, they say that the acceptance rate is more competitive than getting into Harvard because of how many people apply. It's it's incredibly selective. Yeah. I mean, there is like some networking to it. Like you definitely have to know people to just get your name recognized. It's kind of the same thing when you're applying to a job. Like you're much better off if you know someone or have some sort of um, way to get your foot in the door to get someone to notice you. Um, but what kind of worked out in my favor was I went to the 30 under 30 event that they host every year that's open to the public. And that allowed me to network with some of the editors and just like get my name out there a little bit more and just get a little taste of the community itself. It was great. I mean, I don't even remember how it happened, but um, you have to get someone to nominate you. You can't really nominate yourself. So I was really selective about who nominated me. Someone that has a great opinion or judge of character that the editors would trust is really what's important. Yeah. When you got that call or that email, what was your reaction? I guess it was an email. 
I, I just like didn't even, it was so surreal. It's like kind of bringing me back to the engagement two weeks ago. Like I didn't, I couldn't believe it. I just like, didn't really think that it could be real. And I just remember feeling really excited. Like it's obviously funny. I was sitting in the office and I'm like, breaking news, but it was really fun. Um, I celebrated with some of my friends that night and I just remember it being like such a late night, but it was great. And I think it really, it brought a lot of validation and recognition to the business overall. And it's kind of just like great press too, because you're in such a coveted uh, list that people are looking at from any industry. It's been great to be a part of the community and it's a great network. What advice would you give to younger girls who may want to start something but haven't yet? So I was thinking about this, not in relation to this podcast, but I was like randomly thinking about this topic yesterday. And something that I feel like no one really talks about is getting experience working somewhere else before starting your own venture. If I were to do it all over again, I wish that I had experience working somewhere else because I just being right out of college, entering this business and like really being a startup, I have no idea once you get to, you know, 10, 15, 20 people, like how to really manage people and like how to operate. And I had to learn from others coming into the business that have experience elsewhere. But I think that there's definitely a benefit to having either internship experience um, or shadowing someone at the very least, but just learning how other businesses work. I had internships in college. I had two different internships, but like nothing that I could really learn how to operate a workplace from. And I think that people really get a glimpse into that from working at Dormify too. But that's one piece of advice. The second piece of advice that I would give that I typically sort of anchor on is make sure that your idea that you're pursuing is solving a real problem for the general public, not just yourself. Um, you People all the time want to like start a business, but there's no use in starting a business that isn't like solving a real problem. And the third thing is just the importance of the people that you surround yourself with, whether it's mentors, advisors, your team itself. Um, it's so important because at the very beginning, you might feel desperate to like just hire or partner with a jack of all trades or someone who might be right at the time. But I think it's important to be really selective about people that complement your own skills, not replicate your skills. And uh, the people that you are building something that you're so passionate about is very important. Yeah. I, I love both of those pieces of advice and just speaking to people maybe who recently graduated or people who are currently in college and are at internships, it's so important, even if you are just a person in the room, even if you are just a person listening in on a meeting, like a virtual meeting, yeah. soak in that information. I feel yeah. like you can be a passive listener or an active listener when it comes to just being a fly on the wall. And it's yeah. so interesting just to see how things operate. Like for example, I interned at Steve Madden mm -hmm. uh, it, during college and I was in the design department. I will probably never do anything like that again, 
but it was so interesting just to see how the corporation works and how my team like communicated with vendors. So there's yeah. always so much that you can just operational wise yeah. benefit from. And you can learn not only things that you're interested in, but things that you're not interested interested in that you can like cross off your list because in college, a majority of you are, you have no idea what you want to do with your life. So And it's okay to not know what you want to do. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. Totally. And that just shows because your role in Dormify has changed and now you're really focusing on marketing and having less to do with the product development. And you wouldn't know that unless you were really, really involved with product development at one point. And then you were like, oh, you know what? I kind of want to shift to this side of the business. Yeah, exactly. I love that. The last thing that I wanted to ask you is what's next for Dormify? Are there any exciting projects that you can keep us in the loop on? What's very much next for Dormify is navigating the fall and we want to launch a podcast. So that's coming up and it's going to be really fun. Think like your big sister meets Barstool meets how to be an entrepreneur and really being a big sister to our customers on our social platforms and like giving more content to them about entrepreneurship and advice to starting a business and just like college life overall, how to get your first job, how to land an internship. This is all type of stuff. I mean, and the like more fun social aspect of college too, but we're going to be doing some more series via like Instagram TV and podcasts and things like that, where we get to bring in guest speakers and like myself being a guest speaker because my marketing team is going to host most of this. But I think that'll be a great way to... I love that. Um, So that's coming. We are also going to be focusing this fall on a younger demographic and Mm -hmm. catering to teens, middle schoolers, high schoolers who are really like spending a ton of time uh, learning from home and just spending time in their bedrooms. So we're going to be really focusing on redecorating home bedrooms or childhood bedrooms if you're in college but not moving to campus. And then going into 2021, we are starting our product development, like I said, and it should be really fun, but also just kind of determining what brick and mortar retail looks like for 2021 since it was a huge part of our strategy of uh, 2020 that we couldn't execute on. But pop-ups have been a really important growth uh, strategy for us. So it'll be interesting to see if we plan to do it or not next year. Amazing. Before we head out, I always like to end with a gaze goal of the week, which is just a realistic self-care goal um, for the upcoming week. My episodes are released on Sundays. And I know that sometimes the days can start to mesh together, but I think it's so important to start the week off on a positive note. And I think setting a realistic self-care goal is motivational and attainable. Yeah. My self-care goal for the week is going to be, (laughs) this is like very quarantine relevant, to not eat dessert every night. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I do now. And I'm only going to have it on the weekend next week or this week. That's a great goal. My gaze goal of the week is to get more movement in my day, especially living in the city. I feel like sometimes I'm confined to my apartment. Um, 
And even if it's just rolling out my yoga mat, like I did this morning and just stretching and going through like a yoga flow, yep. that is great. Um, just to get some movement. And drinking water. Oh my God. I need to drink more water. I know my cup. <laughs> <laughs> Amanda, thank you so much for coming on. It was such a pleasure connecting with you. And I am just, I'm so excited to share your story with my audience. Thanks for having me. And if there's any questions that come up, I'm happy to do like a Q&A as a part two or whatever makes sense for your audience. Yes. There's tons to talk about and I would love to just give relevant content to the listeners. So let me know. And it was so great to meet you. Yes, we will definitely keep in touch. And of course, thank all of you girl gazers for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Leave a five-star word review if you haven't already and make sure to follow along at girl gaze pod see you guys next sunday